I was encouraged this week. Um, once in a while, I'll look. I haven't started anything yet, so I'm safe. But uh, I'll look on our YouTube page, and I can see numbers of who's what, how many have looked at the posts we've made. And I always scratch my head, and I wonder, who is this? You know, and it, sometimes there's one, one, and, and but somebody's been watching this thing, and I'm, I scratch my head, and I'm thinking, you know, I know some really good sites I could send you, and you could watch some really good sermons, and um, I found out this weekend um, someone who, to the best of my knowledge, uh, has no, no idea of the gospel, has really not had exposure, but yet they, they, they have now. And they have been watching uh, these YouTube channel, this YouTube channel for a long time. And I had no clue who it was. Now I do know. So I was encouraged by that. So I'll share that and I'll quit. But uh, I appreciate so much that went into today. Um, there has been... The Lees just were all over this weekend. Um, I didn't, it didn't click with me at first because I'd asked Mike to take care of the men's breakfast again and uh, then this morning's breakfast, he had both and I really appreciate them stepping up. It was a family project this time so that was even better. But so much went into making this morning special and uh, I really appreciate all that was done because I, I can't do it, I just can't. And that was a very encouraging time for me. And we have a very, I'll call it a strange culture. Our country, I mean, we could just say it's whacked. This is a strange, strange place. Uh, think about in our country. Today, we have, if, I, if my stats are right, 37%. Is, catch these numbers, okay, 37% of the United States population will attend an Easter service this morning, 37%. 63% of our population claims to be Christian. So roughly half of those who would profess to know Jesus as their Savior, I'll use this word loosely, care about today and what it really means. Now, at the same time, you've got, in, in this country, we will spend $21 billion on candy for today. $21 billion. That is almost as much as I make in a salary. What are you laughing at? You voted on it. <laughs> 21 billion, 91 million Easter chocolate Easter bunnies. Somebody made the mistake of asking me if I was ready to see the Easter bunny today. And I said, well, if something five foot, six foot tall that hops shows up on my yard, it's not going to be pretty. Because that's a lot of meat in my freezer. And you know, that bunny will not last long. So we don't want the Easter Bunny to show up here. If you're against hunting, I'm sorry. I, with the, anyway, 91 million of these little chocolate bunnies. 16 billion jelly beans are going to be consumed. 
That is enough, think about this, enough jelly beans to wrap around the globe three times. And Americans are going to eat it. I read one report, and it said, what are your top activities that you do at Easter? Okay, here's the top activities. An egg hunt. Eat candy. Decorate eggs. Have a family dinner. Take a family photo. Not one word in this study was about go worship Jesus. Nothing about church. Nothing about the resurrection. It's all about candy and eggs and family. Now, I obviously like candy. I will say this. This is free. If you're going to buy chocolate bunnies, buy them after Easter. They go down in price. And it's the same thing. Okay, that's free. Back to this. This is an important holiday for gaining weight. But why, why would a true follower of Jesus consider this day important? What difference does this day make? And I'm going to suggest to you, it's not just today that we should be remembering the resurrection of our Lord. I mean, the fact that from the early church on, we met on this day. There was part, there, this is at least a partial reason um, honoring His resurrection is a partial reason why we meet on Sunday, if not the main reason. It is to remember the price that Jesus paid and it is to remember the victory that, that Jesus has given. Jesus rose and without that, the passage that David read, without that, our faith is 100% void. It's useless. If Jesus did not physically, bodily rise from the dead, everything that we claim, we might as well shut this book and go home. Because it's all about Jesus conquering death. Now, let's get one thing out of the way, okay? Because there are some who will want to debate this point. Some are going to want to say, and some do say, there is no way that someone could die and conquer death. People don't rise from the dead. Well, that, that's, there's truth to that. People don't. God did. Our Lord did. He rose from the dead. Now, some, some, one of the biggest proofs we have of the resurrection, it really comes from the enemies of Jesus. The enemies of Jesus desperately wanted to have him stay in that grave. They did not want, they remembered, and th this is what is ironic, the enemies of Jesus remembered Jesus saying, third, third day, I'm coming back. Third day, you're not keeping me down, I'm going to rise. They remembered it. His disciples were struggling with this one. But the, these enemies, the Jewish people, they hated him so much, they put him to death, and they didn't want his, his legacy to continue. They were going to massive efforts to make sure that body stayed in that tomb. 
they got the most powerful army to set guards around this thing to make sure that body did not get out of that tomb. You had this 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 time frame. You're at Passover. You have got hundreds of thousands of people milling around this little city. It's not big. They're all over the place. If you have guys stealing a body and carrying it somewhere, somebody's going to see that happen. Jesus was not sto- his body was not stolen. Jesus rose. Now there's some one theory, it's a false theory that is called the swoon theory. Anybody heard of that before? The swoon theory. Here's what it says. Jesus was beaten and should from the beating he got, he should have died. Normal, a normal man would have been killed in this beating. And you think about these, that cat of nine tails ripping flesh to the bone, laying his flesh open, the blood loss that was there, then the beatings that occurred. You couldn't recognize him as a man. He should have died in that. And then he has to carry his cross to the place where he's going to be hung on it. Then they hang him on that cross. And then... He, uh, he dies. We'll leave it at that right now. And to make sure of it, the guards take a spear and thrust it. And remember, he's up above them. They thrust it up inside the chest cavity. That's how the blood and the bodily fluids, the water, come out. You don't live through this. Then they take him down. They put him in a tomb. They set a rock in front of this tomb that is it's rolled from the outside. You don't roll it from the inside. And then the claim with swoon theory is, well, all this time Jesus has just passed out. He's not really dead. And he comes to while he's in that tomb, and he gets up and he's able to move this massive rock out from the tomb, get past these guards and go about his business and somehow disappear and nobody finds him. That takes more faith to believe than the resurrection. All this, this is what people are trying to do to say Jesus did not really rise from the dead. This really isn't a fact. People, this is not just a fact that has occurred. It's urgent to our salvation. If Jesus didn't conquer death, we have absolutely nothing to hang our hats on, to put our hope in. Nothing is there. This is an important teaching that you and I need to understand. So does it really matter that you rose from the dead? What makes it such a big deal for us today? Why is today the highest attended church service of the entire year in churches across the nation? I want us to consider these questions today. And I want us to... to, Answer this one as well. Should it make a difference to you and me personally in our daily walk with Jesus? Does it even matter? Obviously, the answer is it does. But that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at the text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you did come and willingly give of yourself for us. 
I thank you that you have opened the door for us to be able to have a relationship with you. Lord, I I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to that truth, to remember what you've done, to remember your goodness. And Lord, remind us of our, our filth and how unworthy and undeserving we are of this gift. Lord, I pray that you would use your word in some way today to work in each heart in this room. Would you please help me as I preach that my words would be accurate. Please keep me from being a distraction to the message you desire to have preached. Lord, in some way, glorify yourself through our time here together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be, most of the time here in 1 Corinthians, there's going to be a lot of jumping around, so if you've got a way to mark your place, you'll want to do it. And um, I trust that it'll come together as we start to to look in these verses. So we're going to start on on your handout. We have the first thing, the resurrection. The reason this is important is solidified prophecy. The resurrection solidified prophecy. Prophecy. There are a lot of passages in our Old Testament. As the Jews were, were, as they were studying these, when it was just the Old Testament before Jesus' time, they were debated some. But there is the, there is a consensus on most of the Old Testament where there was total agreement. If any, um, thank you. If anyone needs a handout, raise your hand. We have them in the back. If we need more, copiers back there. We'll get it. So just raise your hand if you need one of these. But there is consensus. And I want you just to turn to one of these uh, Psalms, verse, chapter 16. Psalm 16. This is one of the passages that there was really no debate. Um, there are two different handouts back there, Mike. Okay, okay, thank you. Psalm 16 really had no debate. It is understood and it was understood by the rabbis as they taught this. Psalm 16, verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. It was understood and it still is. There's no debate about this. The Holy One is referring to the Messiah. It is understood that the Messiah would not have his body go through our natural state of decay. He was not going to stay dead. There would not be a a decay process with him. He was going to live, verse 11, forevermore. There was an eternality understood about the Messiah. Now we know from Isaiah 53, and and, and the Jewish rabbis knew, the Messiah was going to suffer. The Messiah was going to become, verse 12, an offering for our sin. It was understood this was going to happen. And then he was going to reign, and he was going to conquer. They understood these truths, but here's what the problem was. Even many of the Jewish rabbis did not understand how these things were going to work together. Some of them got to the point where they were saying, well, maybe there's going to be two different 
messiahs. We're going to have one that's going to be a suffering messiah. We're going to have one that's going to be a reigning messiah because they couldn't see how the two could ever come into one person because it made no sense to them. Paul would have been... I'm sorry, Paul. Before Paul, Saul would have been in that category. He didn't understand how a person, a Messiah, would have to suffer and die. Therefore, in the Jews' mind, Jesus was a phony. Jesus' whole claim, the fact that they could kill him, meant that he was not the real deal. Well, then Paul understood. Paul had his eyes open on that road to Damascus. He got it. Jesus helped him to understand that he fulfilled all of the prophecies for the first coming of the Messiah, which Jesus did. Paul then later on stated, Acts 17, don't need to turn there, he was, going to be pre- he is, he was preaching from the Old Testament the Messiah crucified, suffering, risen again. That was the Messiah that the Apostle Paul understood. And that's the Messiah that Paul preached. Jesus made prophecies. Jesus stated very clearly that he would die and rise again on the third day. It's interesting, as you go through Mark, Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, Mark 10.34... Chapter after chapter, Jesus kept saying, on the third day, I'm coming back. I'm going to rise. They're going to kill me, and I'm going to rise. And he made it clear to them, he prophesied that this was going to happen. And for whatever reason, I don't understand why the disciples didn't get it. It was blocked, you might say, from their understanding, and they were not getting the, they were not getting in full and grasping this truth that Jesus was teaching. We know the Jewish leaders, at least to a point, they got it. Because in Matthew 27, 62 to 66, they said very bluntly, this deceiver said. Where he was going to die, and in three days he would rise. And if you let him do that, he, they were talking to Pilate, you let him do that, it's going to be worse then than it is now. We've got to make sure that body stays in the grave. This was totally a fulfillment of prophecy. The Old Testament prophesied his rising. Jesus prophesied his rising. This is an important truth for us. And one of the reasons it is important, it's your application statement on there, it confirms and fulfills the Word of God. It shows us this book is totally trustworthy. We can follow the teachings of this book and bank on them. His resurrection, if He didn't rise, this book is useless. This book is not true, but He did. And his enemies proved it for us. Second thing we see, the resurrection showed who Jesus is. The resurrection shows who Jesus is. There's a book out there. If you have ever been approached by a Jehovah's Witness, one of their their key teachings is that Jesus is just a man. He was not deity. there, There was nothing deity about him. He was just a man. And they wrote a book called The Greatest Man That Ever Lived. And the premise of that book is he's 
just a man, but a good one. Let me just say this. If Jesus was just a man, he was not a good man. If he's just a man, he was a scoundrel, he was a liar, he was a deceiver because he claimed equality with God. He claimed that he was going to be with his Father. He was the Son. He put himself in an extremely equal position with the Lord, with with the Father. Any man that claims to be at one with God is a deceiver. Just a man, I'm saying. You and me today. You're not there. You are a sinner just like me. You have got issues, and it is so easy to look in every one of our lives and see there's nothing deity about us. There's no point in even trying to go that route. If Jesus was not deity, if He was not the Son of God, then He was a liar. So the resurrection shows who He is. And we we see who He is by His life. We see it through His death. We see it by the resurrection especially. But you look at the life of Jesus. No one else has ever lived a sinless life. Jesus did. Jesus lived a sinless life. He was omnipotent. He could do anything he wanted to do with the exception of going against his character. He could do no sin. And he proved his deity by this sinless life. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that even though he was tempted, and he was probably tempted worse than any one of us have ever been tempted, He got it constantly. Even though he was tempted to sin relentlessly, he never yielded to sin. Ever. He also showed his deity in his death. We we used the phrase, and I I said it a minute ago, uh, Jesus died. let Let me rephrase that a little bit. He did die. He was fully dead. But the Romans didn't take his life. The Jews didn't take his life. They, they, they killed him. But Jesus at the end, he said, okay, I'm paraphrasing, it's time. This sacrifice that I'm making, this gift for your salvation, this gift that I'm given to take the place of your sin, I'm taking, think about that fact for just a moment. Jesus took my sin on himself who never knew sin so that I could have his righteousness. That that forced me to think that. I look back at my sin and I, I know the stuff that has gone on in my life. I know the stuff that's gone on in my head. I know the sin that I have committed and Jesus voluntarily took that and allowed himself to take the punishment for my filth. And then he gave me, by his grace, his righteousness, when I received him as my Savior. That is awesome. If that does not get you a little excited, you've got a problem. Because that's what he did for us. And in his death, it's not that they took his life. You remember the phrase he used? He yielded up his spirit. He let his spirit go. 
He said, it's time, the work's done, I'm, gonna, I, I'm, I'm, turning it, I'm turning it over, I'm done. And he gave up the ghost. No one took it from Jesus. He showed he was deity by doing that. But that climax of deity, it came through when he conquered death. No one does that. No one conquers death. Jesus was not subject to limitations like you and I are. Everyone dies. You know, every religious leader, people have claimed to be Messiah, people have claimed to be the greatest thing there is. Every single religious leader is dead. They're in a grave. And they didn't rise. Jesus is it. Jesus is the only one who conquered death. And because of that, the resurrection matters. Jesus is the only one where there is an empty tomb. And that is despite the fact that his enemies wanted that tomb filled. They wanted him in that tomb, and they went to great pains to make sure he stayed in that tomb. But he rose, and he was seen by hundreds of people. And he taught, and he milled around. People saw him, people experienced him for that 40-day period before he ascended. The resurrection matters. Your application statement here, only God could defeat death. And because he is God, he deserves our allegiance. Only God could defeat death. And because he's God, he deserves our allegiance. Third reason it matters. The resurrection is the assurance of our salvation. Romans 4 verse 25 tells us that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The only way that you and I can be justified before God is through His resurrection. A dead Savior is nothing more than a religious leader. That's not what Jesus was. Not a religious leader. He is a risen Savior. Jesus, without that resurrection, would have no power to save us. Look over. Uh, back in our, our passage we read this morning, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. If Christ be not risen... So Paul was putting an emphasis here on the resurrection. If he's not risen, our preaching's vain. Your faith is also vain. It is worthless. It is useless. There's nothing there that you need to hang on to anymore. We have nothing to offer people that are out here. Our friends, our neighbors, there's nothing to offer them. If Jesus is not risen... Verse 17, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are still in your sins. That means you're not saved. If He's not risen from the dead, you are not redeemed. We had to have the resurrection from the dead for us to have our salvation. He rose and it is the seal of our salvation. What's almost harder to think with that is over the last 2,000 years, everyone who has given their life to Jesus Christ 
it was for nothing. That's what verse 17 is telling, or verse 18, those who are falling asleep, they're perished. There's no hope. That word got brought up in our early service. You know, it's the fact that people, when they lost their Messiah, they were hopeless. When, they, when He was raised, there was hope again. There was that expectation. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. I'll start reading while you're turning. But Hebrews 7, verse 25. Wherefore, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever lives to make intercession for them. If Jesus is not living, He's not interceding. If Jesus isn't living, He's not able to save. That in, that. that that rising from the dead had to happen. He can save us because He's living. His deity is what gave Him the power to do this redemption. Turn over a few more pages to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll start reading at verse 3. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We love I love to read 4 and 5. I've got this inheritance that's not going anywhere. I have got a home in heaven. It is reserved for me. It's not fading away. And it's because of the power of God. It's because of what He did in my life to draw me to Himself. It's because of Him. But if we go back to verse 3, all of this is... What, what causes all of this is the last phrase by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If that resurrection didn't happen, people, you're not saved. We have nothing. But praise God, the resurrection happened. That's why we can have this relationship. That's why when Jesus said in John 14, 19, because I live, you can live also. That's why we can have this hope. Your statement, application statement on this one, the resurrection is totally necessary in that it was the divine assurance that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable to God to put away our sins. Back in Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to read several verses for you here, but in Hebrews 9, you can turn there, it's uh, verses 24 to 28. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor that he should offer himself often. Now that goes against a lot of what people believe today. He offered himself once. As the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood, with the with blood of others, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, 
in the end of the world he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appoint, as, it, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus' sacrifice was accepted. He made it one time. Never again does, it have to, does he have to be sacrificed. Never again does he have to go through anything. His sacrifice was complete. It was accepted by the Father, which means our sin debt got paid. Rephrase that. The offer of our sin debt to be paid was made. Not everyone receives that offer. Some can reject it. They have that, they have that right to choose to say, you know what, I don't want it. I want to live for me. But the offer's there. The payment has been made. We just need to receive that payment. That's what Jesus accomplished because he's living. If he's not living, it's not going to happen. Fourth one, the resurrection is the source of our expectation. The resurrection is the source of our expectation. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus is not risen, our preaching is empty. There's nothing, it's, there's nothing in it. It's, it's, our faith is empty. We have nothing to offer anyone. It's futile. There's no use in following our beliefs without the resurrection. That's a miserable life. That is a totally miserable life. If that's all that there is to life, and a lot of people believe this. A lot of people believe we live, we get our toys, we die, we're done. That is a miserable life. You look over... If you're there in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage, is, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If we are not, if Jesus isn't resurrected from the dead, if we don't have that hope of the resurrection of the dead, people, live it up. Have fun. Do what you got to do because you're going to die and be done. If there is no resurrection, we are fools to be striving to live our lives, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, in a manner pleasing to God. It's a waste. But it's not a waste. Jesus rose from the dead and that is the whole purpose of this. Most people don't live this way. Most people live this way being to please the Lord. Most people live with, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we'll die. That is the majority of our world today. When you and I understand, and I think a lot of times, you've probably heard me mention before, we have a theology and then we have a practical theology. Our theology is what we believe. It's what we say we believe. It's what we'll affirm. Our, our practical theology is how our theology affects what we do. 
do we exercise what we say we believe? I'm going to suggest that a lot of Christians do not exercise their beliefs very well. Here's what happens. If we really believe, if we believe that there is a resurrection, if we believe that we have a living Savior, and that Savior at this moment, as the Scriptures teach, is interceding, praying for us. That Savior is strengthening us. That Savior is encouraging and helping and desiring us to do what's right. If we believe that He's a living Savior and one day, if He's living, we stand before Him. That one wakes me up. Standing before my Lord, knowing the price He paid to free me from sin. And knowing how I don't take advantage of the power that He has given me. And I follow my flesh. That's when I'm not exercising my practical theology of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Romans 8.11 teaches us the same thing. We, we have this hope because of the resurrected life. We, that's why we can have this, because Jesus rose. If you're in this room today and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, these mortal bodies will be raised up. They will be made alive. They will be resurrected. Put in the synonym you want to put. We will be with Jesus if you know Him as Savior. And that's all because Jesus defeated death. 1 Corinthians 15 again. Turn to the last part of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 54. So when this corruptible... Okay, that's talking about this flesh that's going to die. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written... Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of His life. It's because He has raised from the dead that we can have this victory. This is why the sting of death in a Christian should be gone. It's because of what Jesus has done. Not because of anything we've done. Your application statement here. Because of this indescribable gift, we don't fear death. We don't. And I'll tell you what, I don't enjoy the thought of the process. I don't look forward, and there are certain kinds that I don't want to go through more than other kinds that could come my way. I don't look forward to the process of death. But death doesn't scare me because I'm, I know that I have a living Savior who's going to raise me up. So death is not the concern. The process is not... Anybody who looks forward to the process is just... They're strange. Something's messed up. But the separation from the body, to be with our Lord... That's an expectation. That is a hope. That is something we look forward to. That sting 
is gone. And we have it because of the victory attained by Jesus. So what we've looked at so far with this, we've seen the the belief. We've seen the faith that we should have, this confidence that we can have because of the resurrection. And that's good. I'm not saying any of that is something. We need all of this. But is this supposed to affect us in any kind of practical way? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at this last verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. The resurrection should affect our service. Notice the first word in verse 58. It says, therefore. Okay, whenever you see the word therefore, we say, why for is the word therefore, therefore? We look backwards. We say, what was said before that makes this next stuff applicable? He's saying because of the truth of the resurrection, because Jesus has conquered death, because we have this living hope, because this has happened, there should be some practical effects. Now we could go back, and we looked at it a little bit, but verse 32, uh, eat and drink, tomorrow we die, be not deceived, evil companionships, communications, corrupt, good manners, await to righteousness. Because of what Jesus has done for us, it should cause some practical results. Not living for the flesh, living for righteousness. But notice verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because He's risen, because of all of this truth that we've been looking at, we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Can I just suggest to you that God is wanting us to wake up? We spend so much time with our stubborn heads buried in the sand doing what we want to do, pleasing our flesh. We need to wake up. Therefore, because of this awesome gift that we have been given by having this living Savior, We are to actively do what is right. We're to actively, and the word we keep using so much, came up yesterday at the men's breakfast a number of times, we are to intentionally live for Jesus. You don't accidentally live for Jesus. You don't happen to kind of fall into it and make Him, you know, God is pleased somehow because you accidentally pleased Him. No, you intentionally live for Him. And if you're not intentionally living for Him, listen, you're not living for Him. It is not. You're living for you. This verse is telling us we're to be steadfast and unmovable. I've used this example so many times, but when I was young, a long time ago, I had my first car wreck. And I'll never forget that car wreck. It was ugly. And, and I'll just describe it to you real fast. The fence posts, they snapped. They were nothing for that car. The, the pine tree, it cut in half and uprooted about six foot up. It was nothing for that car. But that oak tree, it stopped me. I wrapped around that oak tree. And I dropped to the ground. That car dropped. And a lot of stories with that wreck. But here, here's the key. The oak didn't move. That oak was un.
unmovable. To use the word here in verse 58, it was steadfast. It was unmovable. It wasn't going anywhere, and it stopped me in my tracks. People, that's what we're supposed to be like. Things are not supposed to be pushing us away from our faith, pushing us away from living for our Lord. And I thought of other trees with this. You see the palm trees and the hurricanes, and they're just like this. And we get some of those in our lives. We get these storms that come our way, and they will bend you over. They'll get you nerved. They'll get you, but you know what? They pop back up. I like the example of the redwoods. If you've never seen the redwoods, take a trip. Go see the redwoods. You never see, unless I'm unless I'm I may be mistaken. That happens a lot. You don't usually see a redwood by itself. They're they're in, what do you call them? Clusters, groves. They grow together. You would think that a tree that's 300 feet tall. We've got pictures of our family holding hands like this. Six of us stretched just across the front. They're massive. You'd think the root goes deep. The root doesn't go deep. The roots go out. And they wrap all around each other's roots. And they, they hold, when the windstorm comes and those trees are doing this, the ground sways. Because the root, they hold each other up. That's a good picture for the church. That's what we're supposed to do. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's what we're supposed to be here for. All of this, we are to be, because of the victory of Jesus, we are to be steadfast, unmovable. The point being, we have to have, we need to be firm, we need to be determined in our relationship with our Lord. Always abounding literally that word is super abounding it's a hyper word it's always super abounding in the work of our lord this is circular here's what happens the more we i'll use the word drive the more we intentionally desire to please our lord the more steadfast we're going to be and the more we're going to desire to please our lord the more steadfast it's circular you know what the opposite's true too the more I live for my flesh, the less I'm going to want to serve him and the less steadfast I'm going to be. It feeds itself. You just got to choose which one you want to feed. Your application statement. As we remember that we serve a risen Savior and we're going to meet him soon, it should affect how we serve him. It comes back, what are we thinking on? What are we actively bringing back to our minds? It needs to be the gospel. If you're not in his family, that same risen Jesus who willingly took the full wrath of the Father in our place, that same Jesus is the one that you're going to meet one day. Only it's not going to be a welcoming party. When we don't receive Christ in this life, there's... There's no joy after this. It's a condemnation. John 3, we love verse 16, but verse 18 tells us that before we know Christ, we're already under condemnation. The condemnation's there. It's It's just waiting for its fulfillment, but it is the sentencing to hell is on us from the get go. But I love the fact that our God is not willing that any should perish. 
but that all should come to repentance. He's opening the door. He opens it up for us to have this relationship with Him. And because He lives, we can still call on Him. And that call is open today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, because He's the living Savior, it should affect every single area of our lives. Can I encourage us today? You know, that let's start by just being grateful. Outwardly grateful for this gift of salvation that He's offered us. Hopefully that He's given to us that are here. This offer has definitely been given to everybody. The offer's there. After that, either we follow or we reject. And that choice is ours. We need to choose wisely. Let's stand for a moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, just know Jesus died in your place. Jesus took your punishment so that you could make peace with God because we've all offended Him. And we need to make peace. We need to be forgiven. Jesus desires to receive you. If you'd like to know more about how to enter this relationship, see one of us. Talk to us after. We'd love to be able to help you. Christian, it's not enough for you and me to just know the truth about the resurrection. We need to actively remember the price that he paid. Keep bringing it up in our minds. We need to remember the salvation that he provided, the expectation that we can have. And we should praise him by giving our lives to him. If we're not giving our lives to him, you're not doing much good. He is worthy. He deserves no less than to have us serving Him fully. You do business with God as Bethany Place.